Turning again this morning in the Word of the Lord to the passage that already we have read together, 1 Corinthians and the chapter 4. 1 Corinthians and the fourth chapter. And do remember the service at half three today, please, as has been announced. Memorial service for her brother, Dr. Bill Woods. We will have one or two items that relate to his time in the field, and they'll be on display only briefly this afternoon because they're still technically in possession of the solicitor in charge of his estate. But we have them borrowed just for this afternoon, including his OBE medals, a few other items that will be brought along as well. But after the service this afternoon, they will be taken up and returned, and maybe at a future time we might have opportunity to put them on display again, but only for a brief time today. More importantly, do remember the service in prayer, that people will come in, and that there will be those who are unconverted that will be brought in this afternoon under the sound of God's holy Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're reading verse 1 through to 3 again. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. And I reckon that given the context of today, and given especially the meeting that is planned for this afternoon, and our brother Bill's very evident faithfulness over many years of service, then this is a very important and relevant text. But we're taking a, a stock take on our service today. That's the intention as we look at the verses in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 3. With the Word of God open before us again, we'll bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves to Thee and to the Word of Thy grace. We pray that Thy hand will be upon us this day, that right through the day we will know the infilling of the Spirit of God for the preaching of the Word. We will know what it is to have a book that reveals ourselves to us. Sometimes the picture that is shown is not at all complimentary. Uh, is not at all one that we delight to look at in the mirror, but we're told by Paul that we look into the Word, that glass or that mirror, and we see that reflection of ourselves. What we want to see is the kind of reflection that more and more is reflecting Thee. We want to be that living epistle that is read of all men, but as they read, we pray that they'll be reading something that is pointing them away from us and to the Lord Jesus as the one who is the great head and the king of His church, our greatest ever example, our truest friend, the greatest burden-bearer and sin-bearer, and the only one who can take away our iniquities. We thank Thee for Him. And we pray our thoughts will be towards Him this very day in our Savior's blessed 
and holy name we pray. Amen. On the 21st of September in the year 1862, Abraham Lincoln summoned his cabinet to the White House for a special season. The president at the time was reading a book, and he hardly noticed me as I came in, Secretary of War, Stanton wrote at a later point. And then he further recounted what happened that day by saying, finally, he turned to us and said, gentlemen, did you ever read anything of Artemis Ward? Let me read the chapter that is very funny. Lincoln then read aloud something by the humorist Ward entitled, A High-Handed Outrage at Utica. Furious at what he regarded here as pure buffoonery on Abraham Lincoln's part, Staunton almost got up and left the room. But Lincoln read on until the end of the piece, and then he laughed heartily. Everyone else was silent. Gentlemen, said Lincoln, disappointedly, why don't you laugh? With the fearful strain that is upon me night and day, if I did not laugh, I should die. And you need this medicine as much as I do. And then Lincoln reached into his tall hat on the table. He took out a paper from the hat, and he said, I have called you here on very important business. I have prepared a little paper of much significance. I have said nothing to anyone, but I have made a promise to myself and to my Maker. I am now going to fulfill that promise. And he read in a clear voice, on the 1st of January, in the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons then held as slaves in any state or designated part of a state shall be then and thenceforth and forever free. Stanton was overwhelmed. He got up, took the president's hand, and said, Mr. President, if reading a chapter of Artemis Ward is a prelude to such a deed as this, this book should be filed among the archives of the nation and its author canonized. And at noon, on the 1st of January, 1863, the final proclamation was taken to Lincoln, and as it lay before him, he twice picked up his pen, then put it down again, and turning to the Secretary of State, Sayward, he said, I've been shaking hands since nine o'clock this morning, and my right arm is almost paralyzed. If my name ever goes down in history, it will be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. But if my hand trembles as I sign the proclamation, all who examine the document hereafter will say, he hesitated. He then took up the pen again, 
and slowly and firmly wrote, Abraham Lincoln. When Colonel Mackay of New York reported that he had found enormous affection for Lincoln among freedmen all along the coast of North Carolina, the president was deeply moved. It is a momentous thing, he told Mackay, to be the instrument under providence of the liberation of a race. And may I say this morning that it is a momentous thing to be God's instrument. And there's a real sense, very real sense, in which every single person saved by the grace of God, redeemed by His blood, taken out of the grip of bondage to the devil, made a free man by Jesus Christ, every one of us who were saved should be living for the liberation of a world that is lost and in bondage to the devil. All of us, no one exempt, who named the name of Christ, have been appointed by God to take this good news, this document of liberation, and bring it to the attention of everybody all around us, and understanding this great assignment that has been given to us. It's a good thing now and then, not all the time, but now and then, to take an inventory of our service for Jesus Christ. Have I done my best? Have I stood the test? Is he satisfied with me? And in the passage that we have before us today, 1 Corinthians, the chapter 4, and we're looking primarily verse 1, 2, maybe 3 as well, Paul here is taking an inventory of his life and service for God. And so we're going to, this morning, do a stock take on our service. First thing, the examination of our service. The word that Paul is using here right at the beginning, the word account, it's actually a bookkeeping term, and it talks about taking an inventory here. Paul is challenging others, come on, join the queue, analyze my service for Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 1, let a man sow a count of us. He's saying, you're welcome to take an inventory of my life, to stock take on my service. So the Bible would recommend this as a good practice. There is here an examination of our salvation, and you'll note that in another passage, 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, where we're told, examine, and we're tracing this word, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. And the word examine there means to put it to the test, to scrutinize, to get down to the fine detail, right down, digging to the foundation, and see where the foundation is and what we are building upon here. And so we take the Word of God, and we put to the test our profession of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should examine ourselves in the light of Holy Scripture, and here's what we ask, is my salvation based on what God has said? Does my life bear the marks of a biblical salvation? 
John Trapp, you can almost always rely on him to put it bluntly. He was one of the Puritan preachers, and on this occasion, he's put it extremely bluntly, and he said, every soul is either the spouse of Christ or the devil's strumpet. Blunt it is, but it's a serious situation that calls for serious talking. Some people you know, I know as well, and they're just posing about, and they're pretending to be somebody that they very definitely are not. Their lips say, oh, I'm a Christian. Their lives deny what their lips are trying to tell us. Others are simply cruising around, and they're convinced that, you know, that little bit of emotion that wild up within my heart and mind on that occasion away in the past, uh, maybe a distant moment, it is disconnected from all that has happened ever since, but they thought they made some kind of a decision back then, but they have never lived since that day a life for Jesus Christ. They are not exemplifying anything as to what biblical Christianity is about. They just think, well, I've got my license here. Uh, my name is on the church membership roll. Surely you cannot demand anything other than that. Now, I know that the final trial of whether the salvation that you and I profess, the final trial as to whether it's genuine or if it's false, it's going to be left to the high court of heaven. The judgment day is coming. It'll reveal all the frauds and all the hypocrites and all the empty professors. They will be there, and all of their fig leaf covering will be gone. But by then, it will be far too late to do that crucial about turn repentance and faith unto salvation. And that's why the apostle here is so adamant that there's this present and pressing need to examine yourselves, to prove your own selves, to redouble your efforts here in engaging in this very neglected duty of self-examination. Men and women should test themselves thoroughly, for God is going to do it. It's better to spare him the labor and put the devil out of office. So there's an examination of our salvation, also an examination of our participation. Another text that uses the term examine as well is in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28. The context is coming to the Lord's table partaking or participating in his supper. And here's the injunction, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And so Paul here is narrowing the field. We're talking about a particular circumstance. A man, a woman is coming to the table of the Lord, and Paul's saying, make sure you examine your heart and life to see if there's anything that would cause you to take of that supper in an unworthy fashion. The word examine speaks of putting to the test here for approval. The idea is that we come to the Lord's table in an approved fashion which is why back in the day, Presbyterianism in particular would have had preparation classes for those who were intending to take the Lord's Supper at some time in the future. And you wouldn't be able to turn up and partake in their communion service had you not first 
taken part in the preparation class, received what they called their communion token, and then you could come and take part in that particular remembrance of the Lord until He comes. So, an examination of our salvation, of our participation, of our dedication as well. And it's that kind of examination that Paul is looking at in our text today in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He's speaking of taking the stock take. Let's run the inventory. Let's see how we are. Tell me this today. If you and I were to take a, an inventory of our dedication to the Lord, well, what would we do? Do we know the will of God for our lives? Are we doing the will of God in our lives? Are we seeking to win others for Christ? Have we indeed won others to the Savior and become soul winners? Are we involved in the work of the Lord or just flitting in and flitting out and making sure we don't be involved in His work? Someone has said, that the church of Christ is full of willing people. There are those who are willing to work, and there are others who are willing to let them work. Which class, if we were to take an honest inventory today, would we be fitting into? Henry Drummond, famous preacher and author, was once asked to address a meeting in a West End club in London, very select club, and on his arrival he found the audience they have assembled and everything's arranged in place for him to give the message, and he started his address with these words, ladies and gentlemen, the entrance theme into the kingdom of heaven is nothing, the annual subscription is everything. Has Jesus Christ everything of you at this point in time? Someone asked General William Booth, Salvation Army, General Booth, what's the secret of your success? Why are things really going forward in the evangelistic field and souls are coming to Christ? What is the secret? And he replied with tears in his eyes, God has had all there is of me to have. Give God thy best, the hymn writer said, in service true and willing. Pour out thy life that he may live in thee. Though frail the vessel, he will do the filling, make thee a blessing in the years to be. Give God thy best in true heart consecration. Offer to him thy fragrant morning hours Think not to find his reconciliation when darkness falls and thou hast spent thy powers. So, how today do we account of ourselves? How would God account of us? Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the previous chapter, we're told that God is keeping a book on our works. And I think even that knowledge alone should spur us all to take an inventory of our service. What would he be writing in that book? What am I doing for him? So, the examination of our service. Then, secondly, the explanation of our service. Paul has challenges here. 
challenge others around him. Well, take an inventory of my life and ascertain what I'm doing and not doing for the Lord Jesus. And he's speaking of the areas where he is welcoming in particular this inventory or this stock take. And he brings two pictures to our minds here in verse 1 about the role and responsibility that we have in the Lord's work. Let a man sow a kind of us. As off, here's the first picture, the ministers of Christ, here's the second, and stewards of the mysteries of God. So, on these two levels, Paul is inviting a stock take. I am his minister, I am his steward, check it out. See what I've done. Both words, minister and steward, point us in the direction of a slave. During Roman times, a large segment of the Roman Empire was consisting of slaves. They worked for their master in different roles and with different responsibilities. And if we examine the pictures here that Paul is giving, it grips us and tells us as a Christian, here's how I should be operating. We are ministers who have been given a task. The word minister actually means under rower. So the slaves in this case are galley slaves, and they're manning the oars on a ship. And the task of those slaves is to pull on the oars with all their strength to propel that ship forward. And each of us, has been assigned under God the role of an under-rower in the gospel ship. We've been assigned this task of working for Christ, and He's giving the orders, and He's giving directions, and He's setting the compass, and He is the charge, and we are involved here with all of our energy in the work of propelling the old and good ship of grace forward across the sea. Now, this task involves subordination. We can't decide, well, I'm jolly well going to do just what I want to do, and nobody else is going to tell me otherwise. We are under the Lord's instructions. We have a duty to obey His commands. And some people have the greatest difficulty in submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, they will cream off the benefits of His cross, for sure they will, but they do not want to bring themselves under the rule of His crown. We sang this morning, in your hearts, enthrone Him. There let him subdue all that is not holy, all that is not true. Crown him as your captain in temptations are. Let his will enfold you in its light and power. Subordination. Our task involves cooperation. Can you see the galley slaves lined on the lower deck of that ship and they're all pulling together? Because if they don't all pull together, they're not following the captain's instruction, and the ship is not going to go forward in the way that it should. And in the church life, we need to be pulling together under the master's direction to get to his destination 
Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is that we should dwell together in unity, cooperation. Not a case off. Why has he been given that role? Why is she gaining that kind of prominence? We are all in it together for the same purpose, building Christ's church under the leadership of our great head and captain, cooperation. Our task involves participation as well. The ship will not go forward by you hiding in some house in the darkness back on the shore. The power behind that ship in reaching the destination was all in the work of those under rowers and the work of the church. It only ever goes forward with those who are involved and working. Stands to sense the work of God needs workers. People who have submitted themselves to God's plan for their life, who have put their hands to the oar, who are not afraid to get down there in those areas where the rowers are and get dirty in their pooling with all their might, God's method of doing His work is through His people. And the reason why there's a ship or two or more than one ship and it's dry rotting in the harbor is simply because there aren't enough under rowers to energize and move the fleet forward. And if the church is going to go forward and do the work that God has given to it, there is a need for each of us to realize, I am to be a minister here, an under rower. There's a task for me. And if you're thinking today, well, I don't have a clue what that task could be, and I don't see me fit in, in any niche or gap, do come and speak to me, and I'll get one for you. That's absolutely guaranteed. We are to be obeying the Master, doing His work. So we're ministers. We're also stewards who have been given a trust. Paul's describing himself here as a steward of the mysteries of God, and that steward was a slave as well, just like the under rowers, but in totally different circumstances. He was one who had been put in charge of the administration of the house or the administration of the estate. And he was completely managing all the affairs, fine-tuning it all so that everything is working in the way that it should for his master. And so this man has been put into a position of trust by his master. He has earned the right to fulfill the duty that he is doing as a steward. Notice how Paul describes him here, stewards of the mysteries of God or the hidden things of God. Those things that God is revealing to men, he is dispensing them to them by the use of his stewards, and Paul was one of those. We read in 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, as every man has received the gift, even so minister the same to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so we're told there by Peter, each and every single Christian has been given a gift, given a talent, given a responsibility. There's a duty outline for them. God has given you these things as a trust, not to hide under the bed, not to allow cobwebs to shield it from view, but dust it out 
and get it put into action for Christ. God has equipped each and every one of us for some particular aspect of Christian service and not to be involved is to violate the trust that God has given to us. Over in Springfield in the state of Oregon, there was a public school newsletter published on one occasion. And the article they published there dealt only with animals. Animals who decided, as if they could, that they were going to do something to meet the problems of the new world. So they organized a school and they adopted a curriculum of running and climbing and swimming and flying, just what animals do, and to make it easier to administer the curriculum. All animals took all the subjects, so it wasn't pick and choose. Do what comes naturally, leave the really difficult things to somebody else. The duck was excellent in swimming, but he only made passing grades in flying. He was very poor in running, and since he was so poor in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice his running. That caused his webbed feet to be badly worn, so that swimming ability that he once had, it slumped down to the average mark. The rabbit started off top of the class in running, but developed a nervous twitch in its leg muscles because of so much stretching engaged in the swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he encountered constant frustration in the flying class because the teacher there made him start from the ground instead of from the treetop down, and he developed problems from overexertion, and soon he was just coming in at a C level in swimming and a D in running. The moral of the story is each person has his own or her own gifted abilities. Each believer has their own talents. Each one of us has our own place of service. And as we think of those gifts that God has given to us, we must think, I am a steward of these abilities and talents. I need to be putting them into play. I need to be exercising the gifts that God has given to me. Are you? The examination of our service, the explanation of our service. And I cannot but think of our brother, Dr. Bill Woods. And I remember being in Nettlefield just a matter of months ago, the end of June. And they asked him what he remembered of being a pupil there. And they were hoping, because all the teachers were there and the whole school was there, they were hoping that he was going to say great things about their school in this time there. And he says, I don't remember a thing about it. Because by his own confession, he hardly ever went. He said it was the only person who got zero in a Latin exam. Did the same in some other subjects. But he was challenged to do something for God. And he stretched every muscle and pulled every nerve and did what wasn't natural to him and applied himself solidly to study. 
until he learned Portuguese to speak to the Brazilians, until he came through and qualified highly in medical school to operate upon the needy and virtually eradicate leprosy in the state of Acre and through the Amazonas and reclaimed the sight of many an individual because he realized, I need to be a servant for Christ. I have a task. I have a duty. I'm a steward of a gift, and I need to exercise it. And he's a challenge to us today. The exhortation of our service, the final thing. In the light of all these believers being stewards, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4 and 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Theodore Roosevelt, former U.S. president, gave very good advice when he said, it is better to be faithful than famous. God is not interested in His people acquiring fame and getting up on high pedestals, but He is interested in us being faithful. Someone has said, the world crowns success. God crowns faithfulness. And that's true. We must be faithful to our work. Whatever God has given us to do, let's not be overcome by envy of what somebody else is doing and saying, you know what, I'm tired of this kind of operation here, and I'd love to move over there, and look at what they're doing. It's so much more exciting and enjoyable, and they're getting a few plaudits for it as well that I don't seem to be getting over here. Whatever, whatever God has chosen us to do, we should be faithful in that work. A minister should be faithful. A steward should be faithful. Faithfulness, what a subject this is in God's Word. We're to show that in steadfast commitment to the Lord. Faithfulness, where do we see it? In unwavering devotion. Micah 4 and 5, Joshua 24, 14, 15, Revelation 2 and verse 10. We've only time to list the references here and mention what we are to be faithful in. Faithful in obedience, Deuteronomy 11, 13, Ezekiel 18 and 9. Faithful also in service, 1 Samuel 12 and 24, 2 Chronicles 19 and 9, 2 Chronicles 34, verse 10 to 12, 1 Timothy 1 and 12. Again, the emphasis, faithful in service, faithful in our giving. 2 Chronicles 31 and 12, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5, faithful in prayer, Romans 12 and 12, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, pray without ceasing, that is faithfulness and supplication, faithful in patient endurance because there will be difficulties, bumps all along the road, testing times. It doesn't all go smooth or like clockwork. Sometimes you will imagine, how are we going to get round the next corner or the one we're on? 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13, Hebrews 10, verse 36, Revelation 13 and 10, and 14 and 12, patiently endure, running the race, looking to Jesus, who was setting before us the prize here, faithful in fulfilling our vows, Numbers 30 and 2, Psalm 22 and verse 25, Ecclesiastes 5 and 4, Jonah 2 and 9, faithful in fulfilling our vows. But how am I going to be faithful? What will spur me on? What will challenge me? What will keep me in this task? 
Well, the Lord calls us to do that. Should be enough sperm to faithfulness for us. He watches over the faithful as well, and He rewards faithfulness. So if the Lord has called you to teach in the Sunday school or children's meeting, be faithful in your call. If He has placed you in a position of leadership, be faithful in that duty. If you have a job in the church, whatever it is, be faithful to that work. On one occasion after D.L. Moody had preached, an older woman came up to him and she said, I noticed that you made 11 grammatical errors in your message tonight. Now, Moody had a limited education, and his grammar was lacking and sometimes terribly lacking, but he looked at the woman and he smiled and he said, yes, I'm sure that's true. My education is limited. I wish I could have had more. But I'm simply using all the grammar I have to win all the people I can to the Lord. He wasn't so ingracious as to follow it up by saying, and what are you doing? But that is the challenge, because this is all, all that God is asking from any one of us to be faithful and to use what we have and do what we can. He's not asking for the impossible, but He's asking us to do what we can. We should be faithful. Faithful, not only to our work, but in our work. The church choir director was going through rehearsals for the Christmas concert, and he was being driven to distraction. Every time they had a rehearsal, it seemed at least one or more members of the choir was absent. Every single time. Always somebody not there. Finally, they reached the last rehearsal before the concert, and he announced, I want to personally thank the pianist for being the only person in this entire church choir to attend each and every rehearsal during the past two months. And as soon as he had said that, the pianist got to his feet, bowed, and said, it was the least I could do, considering I won't be able to be at the concert tonight. How sad that many treat the work of God like something, oh, if it fits into the schedule, we'll do it. But if there are other things to do, better things to do, dump it from the schedule. The work of God is a priority and should be treated as a priority. If you have a job in the church, everything else takes a back seat. It shouldn't be something that I'll do whenever I feel like showing up to do it. It should be something that you are faithful to and faithful in. Why? Because it's what God requires. So Paul challenged others, take a stock take on my service. Have you done that today in terms of your work for God? Thomas Gill wrote, Lord, 
In the fullness of my might, I would for thee be strong. While runneth o'er each dear delight, to thee should soar my song. I would not give the world my heart, and then profess thy love. I would not feel my strength depart, and then thy service prove. And then he appealed, O choose me in my golden time. In my dear joys apart, for thee the glory of my prime, the fullness of my heart. That's what it means to be faithful.